The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. Thank you. If you would, turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, and uh, kind of already told you what we're going to be talking about today. And if you will, go down to verse uh, uh, 12. Uh, in Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to read verse 12 through 20. And uh, if you come on Wednesdays, any, we discussed this subject <coughs> similar to what we're going to talk about. And the, the question that, that I posed on Wednesday night is, uh, why do we find it hard to come to church? Now, a couple of weeks ago, I asked <coughs> a question, something along the lines, I can't remember exactly what it was, is do you ever find it hard to come to church? You get up in the morning, you think, oh, I don't want to come, and and uh, I said, uh, I know I do, and I've got more comments about it. Oh, I can't believe that. Well, I don't know why you have trouble believing that. I'm, I'm just like you. I, I mean, I have a job. I have, a, uh, I have problems. I have things to do. And, and sometimes when it's a real nice day, you know, I think, boy, I'd just like to stay home today. But I can honestly say when I get here and get started, I, I never am sorry I came. And I hope that's the case that, that you have. I hope that once you get here and uh, the, the, the distractions of the day are gone, you think, oh, I'm really glad I came. But, but we on Wednesday night, we spent about three weeks or four weeks on this topic, and we came up with a lot of ideals uh, about why it's uh, sometimes hard to come to church. Now, I'm not talking about you that are here today. Uh, I'm talking in general, over the last uh, several years, we've, we've had a decline in, in, uh, in churches across America. And we just kind of said, what happened to that? And we started looking and trying to answer this question. And uh, I think we have some ideals and some answers today. So uh, the, the key word for us today is legalism. And, and we're going to talk about there's no religious... Uh, no joy in religious legalism. And we're going to explain, and we're going to talk about what that is. You probably already know. But I read this statement, joyless religion, joyless religion is like going to a nice restaurant and eating the paper menu instead of enjoying the food. Now, that's true. Uh, that, that might be a little chuckle there, but I want you to think about that. Joyless religions just simply like coming and and seeing something on a piece of paper and taking that whatever's on that paper and and not enjoying the food or the spiritual nourishment that God's word has to offer. If we're just uh, eating the paper, we're missing out on everything. And uh, there were uh, a thing I run across special occasions. Y'all seen those cakes? And if you go to Brookshire's and uh, Sulphur Springs, probably any of them, and a lot of stores, maybe Walmart and others, you can go to the cake department and. There'll be some cakes made up there, and uh, they'll look real nice, and in the middle of them, it'll be blank. And the ideal is you choose you a cake, and you go, and you uh, say, here's what I want on the cake. Well, here's a collection of, of uh, pictures of things, of messages uh, that are called cake wrecks. And you really have to listen uh, to what these uh, cakes say on them. So we're talking about uh, what apparently some cake... Uh, decorators took the words and they took them literally. Uh, they probably took them over the phone and they took verbal instructions and they literally put down what was told them. Here's one that says, best wishes, Suzanne. I don't think this was yours, Suzanne, but best, witch- best wishes, Suzanne. And in, in icing, uh, under that, it says, uh, 
Underneath that, we'll miss you. So on the cake, it said, best wishes, Suzanne. Underneath that, we'll miss you. That's, what, that's how they wrote that. So you have an idea what I'm talking about? So on the cake, that's what was written. Best wishes, Suzanne. Underneath that, we'll miss you. Here's another. Congratulations, C-O-M, congratulations, underneath that on your weeding in green. <laughs> so that was on the cake. Uh, congratulations, underneath that on your weeding, parentheses, in green. So uh, if you get that cake, uh, you can figure that. Obviously, there was no spell check there. And as bad as my spelling, I think I could have figured some of those things out. Uh, and I guess maybe somebody that decorated the cake may not have even spoke English. I don't know. Another one says, write welcome on it. <laughs> there it is. Another graduation cake simply said, I want sprinkles. <laughs> um, here's one I like because my name is JC. That's it. Y'all know that, but most of you know that. That's my whole name. It's not Jake. Jake's a nickname. Jakey's a nickname, whatever you call me. That's a nickname. My actual name on my birth certificate, on my driver's license, is J.C. Vaughn Jr. My dad's name is J.C. Vaughn Sr. That's all there is. When I was growing up in school and I was in first, second, third, fourth, twelfth grade, my teacher would say, what's your name? I would say, J.C. No, that's your initials. No, that's my name. No, you're misunderstanding. Those are your initials. No, you're misunderstanding. That is my name, J.C. So on this cake, evidently someone was in those same, uh, same area. This cake says, C.C., just like that with no periods. <laughs> So that's what was written on the cake, CC, just like that, with no periods. Uh, my favorite may be this one from Canada, says Shules out. <laughs> uh, maybe it shouldn't have been out for that person. Uh, my, uh, another one I like, a birth announcement that says it's a grill. <laughs> uh, and finally, there's one uh, person that said, I want my cake to say nothing on it. <laughs> So uh, they said, I want my cake to have nothing on it. So that's what they got. So obviously these cake decorators, they misunderstood their instructions. They had some instructions there. They, someone had ordered a cake, and they took those words, and they didn't understand exactly what was going on. And uh, that was kind of the problem at the churches in Galatia. Paul has, has written this letter, and they have misunderstood what Paul had to say to them. Now, we understand that we're saved by grace through faith. And uh, we, we need to go back and remember during this time, and incidentally, there's no clock back there this morning, so uh, I'm serious about this. If someone kind of, kind of give me a nod when we're about five or ten minutes away or say, you know, when J.C. was here a couple weeks ago, she didn't mind yelling out, you're about out of time, so if you want to do that, then you do that. Uh, just so I'll know how late we're going to be getting to lunch. But, but anyway, uh, as we look at this, uh, Paul is writing and he's talking about uh, you understood that you were saved by grace through faith. As we think about what's happening during this time, remember that uh, up to the point of Christ, the Pharisees have been coming along and they've, they've been living under the law. 
The Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and that's simply what the Old Testament is. It's the Old Covenant under the law. The New Testament is the New Covenant under grace, under Christ. So that's simply the, the separation of the two. When, you, when someone says we're in the Old Testament, it simply means we're reading from things about the law, the Old Testament, the old law. We're in the New Testament today. We're talking about after Christ has come. So they're living during this transitional time. So they're here. They've, they've grown up. They've understood the traditions of the law. The Pharisees have taught the law. They've tried to live under the law. And now the, the church age has come in. Christ has come in. Now they're living under grace. They're living uh, through Jesus Christ, who they have a saving knowledge, and they're living uh, in grace through their faith. But as this church begin to grow and as they begin to uh, go through their daily motions, they begin to lose focus on what they were in Christ. And because of that, they had lost their joy. And we find that as Paul writes him in Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 12. I want you to listen to what Paul is saying. He says, I plead with you, brothers, to become like me. Now, I want to stop there just for a second. Where he says, I plead for you to come like me... What he's talking about, he's not talking about his personality. He's not talking about uh, things that he's doing, his ministries, of his missionary journeys. He's not talking about all these things. He's saying, become like me. I am freed from the bondage of Jewish, Jewish traditions. I've been freed from that. I, I was under the, the chains or the, or the, chains or the, the bondage of, of the law. I was under those things, and I'm pleading you to become like me because I have become like you. And he's talking to the Gentiles here, and he says, so at one time I, I tried to follow all these Jewish ordinances, and I'm pleading you with you to become like I am now. For you have done me no wrong, as you know, and it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt nor scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. And what has happened to your joy? I can testify that if I could have done so, you would have torn your eyes out and you'd have gave them to me. And now you've become, and now I've become your enemy for telling you the truth. Or he asked that question, have I now become your enemy? By telling you the truth, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. And again, let's go back and remember what's happening in the church. Remember the Gnostics, and we seem like we've been on them for for uh, weeks and weeks and weeks. And and Paul is still reminding them: there's people who are zealous, and in this case, he's talking about the law. He's talking about they're zealous to win you over away from grace. Back into the law, they're zealous to win you over, but it's for no good. And this is what they want to do. They want to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. And it's fine to be zealous, provided it's the purpose is good. And so to be always be, not just when I'm with you, and my dear children, for whom I, whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be there with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about what's happening to you. So Paul's desire for this church, you see he says there, they're kind of his spiritual children. He says there in the end, my dear children, 
Again, for you, I'm in the pains of childbirth. So he's, he's referring to that, that, that Christ would be formed in them, these spiritual children that Paul has seen come to Christ. He's seen them begin to grow, and, and now he's remembering. And, and uh, he, he says, uh, there's been a change in your heart, but in that change of your heart while you were growing in grace, something has happened. Now, folks, I want us to understand as Christians, we don't become spiritual giants overnight, do we? I mean, we've read about Paul, and he says, you know, you, you start on this milk, and you have the, the milk of the Word, and then you're growing. And we talked about this several weeks ago. We have children, and we have adolescents, and we have adults, and that has nothing to do with age. Spiritually, Paul says that. So we need to understand that, that Paul is looking at them, and he's saying this is a gradual process. But as I get reports from the church, and as I see you, I realize that, that you have lost your joy. And, and in losing your joy, there's some there that's wanting to pull you away from what you've been taught. And Paul wants them to understand that this process of growing, Christ is in that process. Matter of fact, if we go over to Philippians 1.6, Paul says this, "...being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you were carried out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus." So. Paul's teaching here as, as Christians, I'm perplexed about what's happening. You, I was there with you. You were filled with joy. You were serving the Lord and something's happening and you've been torn away from, from grace. And as the Christian strayed away from grace and uh, back into legalism, now what legalism simply is, is this, it's the law. Remember what I said? Uh, they, they grew up under this set of rules in the Old Testament these do's and don'ts, and we've talked about how the Pharisees has come and they've added all of these other laws and all of these things that, that they just thought this will look good and we can do this, and they changed the law up. He said, you know, all of a sudden you're, you're, you're straying back to those things. You're being drawn back into those things. And instead of becoming more like Christ, that was their desire, they were becoming less like Christ. Now, I want you to let that seek in for just a moment. Because I think within most of our minds, there's a little bit of legalism floating around in most of our minds. Because we think the more rules I can keep, the more like Christ I'm going to be. And that's what the church at Galatia was doing. They were thinking, hey, I have these people that are zealous, the Pharisees, and they're all about the law. And they're, they're saying we want to be just like God and we look like God because we have kept all of these laws of the Old Testament. But actually what's happening is they're becoming less and less like God. They're becoming more and more like a, a group of people that simply has a list of laws and a list of rules and, and simply going through the process of keeping those. And the problem with that is... It's impossible to keep the law. It's impossible to, to keep what God has placed out there in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. And as a result of that, because it's impossible to keep the law, they're getting frustrated. And let me, let me make this statement. As a result, there's no joy in this church. I'm talking about this church at Galatia. There's only obligations. Now, did y'all watch that movie... Uh, where the guy, I'm going to have to explain it to you because I can't remember the name of it. The dad's name was Baboon. Y'all remember? Jungle to Jungle. Did y'all, any of y'all watch that? It's pretty old. Y'all ought to watch it. It's got Tim Allen in it, and he has a son that's, 
in another country or from a tribe, and they bring him to America from the jungles of the jungle to the jungle of America. And, and uh, so the, 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 his son doesn't understand all the, the, uh, the, the words and all the things that we have in, a, in America or in the jungle of, of the city. And uh, so he, he's saying, uh, why can't you stay home with me today? And, and uh, the, the dad says, well, I have obligations at work. And he said, what's an obligation? And he says, well, it's when, you, it's when you have to do something you really don't want to do. So the, the, his son there, who, who really didn't have any definitions of English words and things, said, okay, I understand that. Well, uh, and, and then this uh, Tim Allen, the dad, his, the, his jungle name was Baboon or whatever, I don't know. But, but anyway... Uh, the, the boy says, why, why can't you spend time with me? And he's, he's got all of these pressures from work from this side, and he's trying to get married, and this woman he's married is this goofball. You just have to see the movie. And, and so he's got all these pressures from her and all these pressures from work, and he's got this, this, uh, his son, and he's on the phone, and he's talking to a guy at work, and, and he says, well, I've, I've got my son here, and I'm obligated to be with him. So to his son, his son said, you're obligated to be with me. Well, what did his son understood obligation was? Something you had to do, but you really didn't want to do. So that's a big part of the movie there. And what I want us to understand is this. There's really no joy in obligation. And, and so, so I want us to think about that in our spiritual life. Do we feel obligated to, to serve the Lord? Do we feel obligated to, to follow what God's design was for us, for, to, to follow directions for us? Because I think if we come to that point of our life that we are obligated to be here, if we feel like, you know what, the only reason I come, the only reason I serve God, the only the reason I'm doing these things is I'm obligated to do these things, then we lose that spiritual joy. And, and in this church, Paul is saying, you know what? I see that you've lost your joy. I see that some, some things have happened. So he begins to, to, to give them three things that will help them understand and restore their joy, understand where they are, and understand that, that you know what? Uh, you, can, you can have this joy that you once had. And for us today, I hope that we can look at these things, and if, if something is, is robbing us of our joy, uh, then, then we can have that joy restored. Or if we have others that, that we invite, that we want to become a part of God's family, and, and they have a, a reason, they say, well, you know, we just, we just don't go to church. Well, why not? And, and if they start saying, well, there's, you know, we can't keep those rules, and we can't keep those things, and we don't want to be hypocrites, we don't want to say one thing and do something else, just, just say, you know what, there is no obligation in your Christian life. There's, there's no legalism. There's no set of rules that you have to follow. This is the thing. When we, when we become Christians, what do we do? We simply come before God and we say, you know what, I'm a sinner. And I've failed in your plan for me, God, and I need your forgiveness. And I want to ask that, that the blood of Jesus would cover me. That, that's how we become saved. We don't become saved by saying, okay, I've gone through these processes and I've done these things and I've changed all these things in my life so I'm ready to come to Christ. Here's the thing about that. We can't change those things apart from God. We can't clean up our life apart from God. You know what that is? That's legalism. That's saying I'm going to clean up everything. When I get everything clean back here in my life, 
Then I'm going to come to God and He's going to say, boy, you've done a great job cleaning your life up. Now you can become one of my children. That's not what happens. That's, that's, that's the mindset we have sometimes. We sing a song for invitation sometimes that says, just as I am, I come to the cross just as I am. So when we think about, I don't want to come to church, I've got this sin in my life, or I do these things and I'll be a hypocrite. Wait a minute. If the Holy Spirit's not convicted you and you're not growing, what, what's, what is the scripture we read? He who began a good work in you is going to what? He's going to complete it. He's going to carry through. So our Christian life's a process of growing. It's a process of changing all the time. We, we don't just walk in here and say, I've got everything perfect, everything looks good. But we do do that, don't we? We do try to come to church and say, you know what, I've got it all straight. Everything's good. Everything's right in my life. And, and we don't want po- folks to know that, you know what, there's some issues I'm dealing with. There's some struggles I'm dealing with. And, and we try to do everything to make others say, this looks good. But Christ says, it's not about what we do. It's about what you've done with me. So how do we restore that joy? Somebody tell me what time it is. 11, four. Oh, I got 15 whole minutes left. All right, the first thing is this. I got three points, so I got five minutes to point the way I do the math on that. So how do we restore the joy? Here's the first thing. When we help fill in the blank, hurting people, needy people, lonely people, here's the answer, ministry. When we minister to others, it's like helping Christ. It's like, it's like helping Christ. I was thinking about this this morning. You know, if we... If we go to enough events that we enjoy, let's say, uh, you, you care if I use you as an example today? What's your name? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at you that look back. Mr. Uh, Les Harris. I'm Jake. Nice to meet you. <laughs> uh, JC. Mr. Harris, uh, he's, he's into sheep. Big time, if y'all didn't know that. And uh, he goes to a lot of shows. And I'm going to guess, I'm going to go out of the limb, and I'm going to say if, if Mr. Harris went to uh, sheep show after sheep show and he sat in the crowd, I would say after several shows, he's going to get tired of sitting in the crowd, isn't he? He's going to say, you know what? This isn't fun anymore. I mean, I'm not enjoying this. Why? We talked last week about what did secularism do to the church. It made it a spectator sport. It made it a spectator event. So when we come to church, and when we become spectators, and if you go to a sheep show and you're involved, but all of a sudden you're a spectator, you've lost the joy of that. You've lost the pleasure of being involved. So what do you do? You go and you say, you know what? I want to be more involved in this. Hey, I want to, I want to start raising sheep. I want to start teaching people about this. I, I want to start looking at others. I want to start doing some things. And through that, that joy is restored. Well, the same is true for us. We could take any event. You could go to something enough times that finally you're going to say, you know what? This, I, I'm not having fun at this anymore. I've lost my joy with this. But to restore that joy, you get involved. And folks, I believe that's true in the church. When we begin to minister, notice how Paul, he, he equates ministry with their joy. We're going to look at that scripture in just a moment. I think when we come to church and when we come as spectators, we lose our joy in serving. We lose our joy in being here. We, we simply come and we say, you know what, it just, I just don't get that much out of it anymore. 
Well, Paul is saying there, and he says to these people, when I came to you, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Jesus Christ Himself. And when we read this, records of the, of the account of Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, they come along and they, they first visit Galatia there. And what's happening is Acts doesn't tell us anything about his illness, but Paul has an illness. And to just run through it kind of quickly, we'll jump down to Acts chapter 14. If you're following in your Bibles, Acts 14, 19, and 20, it's, it's talking about Paul says he's suffering here from some kind of disease. Evidently, it was an eye-type disease because he says there, if you could have, I think you'd have taken your eyes out and gave them to me. So this word illness means some kind of physical infirmity that was revolting. Well, if you go to Acts, it says, Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconum, and uh, they won the crowd over, and they stoned Paul, dragged him outside of the city, thinking he was dead. The disciples gathered around him. He got up and went back to the city, and the next day Barnabas left for debris, which is a part of the Galatia. So what, what we find in that scripture, and probably what happened to Paul when he came to Galatia, is he had just been stoned. And... Barnabas there took him and brought him to Galatia, and he's recovering from that. Now, do you all understand what stoning is? Stoning is when they would take rocks, and I'm not talking about pebbles. They say the rocks were about the size of a loaf of bread, so something about this square and about this long, and the person would lay on the ground, and they would just take and they would stone that person, and they would stone them till they were dead. So Paul has been stoned, and more than likely in the stoning, he's had a terrible eye injury. And if you go and read some more letters from Paul, you see that he even says in some of his letters that the reason I'm writing you so big, and, and, and it's probably because he's losing his eyesight, or he's lost his eyesight. So as he writes, he'd write in big letters where he could see what he was writing. So he says, when I came to you, I had this ailment, I, I, I had a, a, a hideous eye disease, and, and you took care of me, and you cared for me. And, and if you could have, you would have, you would have taken your eyes, and you would have gave them to me. But what happened to your joy? See, so Paul, he, he says, when you were serving, when you were involved, when you were being part of a ministry, you were filled with joy. But what happened to that joy? So as we see this, listen to what the Lord says. If, if, if the Lord came in this morning and you knew it was Christ and He said, Hey, I need, a, I need to borrow a couple of bucks from you. I, I think everybody here would say, Well, sure. You might say, Well, why would... He doesn't need money from me. But, but you might say, Sure. And I'm not talking about money. I, I'm talking about any number of things. Well, when we help others, that's exactly what we're doing. We're, we're lending to God. We're showing compassion. Proverbs nineteen seventeen says, He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and will receive for him what he has done, from him what he has done. So Proverbs says, you know, when we minister to others... It's like we're ministering to the Lord. It's like we're lending something to God and, and He's going to pay us back for what we've done. So when we look at this, we need to understand that, that that's what Paul equates joy to, is service. He equates joy to, to ministering to others. And if we come to the point in our spiritual life when, when we've kind of lost some joy, I, wanna, I want you to look back and say, you know, wh- wh- why have I lost that? Why am, I, wh- am I ministering? Am I being a part of the worship service? Am I, am I involved or am I simply becoming a spectator? Because any spectator in nearly any sport, after so long, 
you're just going to get tired of it. You're just going to get burnt out of it. But when you become, when you become in, involved and when you become part of the process, then all of a sudden you have that joy. Here's the second thing. You can't lose your salvation, but you can lose the joy of your salvation. You can't lose your salvation, but you can lose the joy of your salvation. Now, Paul asks a very important question when he says, What happened to all your joy? What happened to it? You, you, were, you were born again in Christ. You were filled with grace, and, and you were living by faith. But, but what happened to your joy? And as we begin to look at that, I think we can realize that, that we, we don't work for our salvation. Listen to what it says in John 10. He said, My Father has given them to me, talking about when we accept Christ, and our Father is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand, and I and my Father are one. So what Jesus is saying, when we're born again, He gets a hold of us. I've said this a lot of times from right up here. He gets a hold of us, and He's bigger than anything that comes against us. So when God's got a hold of you, when you've accepted Christ, He's not going to turn you loose. It doesn't matter what you do, He's not going to turn you loose. Amen? So, what happens? God's got a hold of us. We, we're the ones that move. He never moves. There's a couple of things that I think robs us of our joy. I think there's, they're joy stealers and they're joy killers. And, and they're real simple. And we find them right here. And I think they're the, the key to unhappiness in a Christian life. And I think they're the things that, that are not understood by those who are unchurched. Because they look at church folks and they say, you know, that can't be fun. Look at their faces when they come out of there in the mornings. You know, that, that, that can't be a joy. But I think these are some joy killers and they're, they're legalism and sin. Now, here's the problem with legalism. And I mentioned this a while ago. None of us can keep the rules all the time. None of us can keep the rules all the time. And if you're dependent on how many of God's commandments you keep, you're not going to be satisfied because you're going to come up short over and over and over. So if you're depending on those things, well, I failed God today. Have you ever been doing a task? It doesn't matter how great or how small, and, and you fail at it, all of a sudden you, you feel like you failed. You're a failure. I, I just can't do it. Maybe somebody comes along and says, hey, I want you to do that again. Oh, I can't. I failed last time I tried. I'm, I, all of a sudden, we, we've lost sight, and, and because of our failures, we've lost some joy. You know a, a major league batter? Parents, if you have a, a child playing little league or high school ball or college ball, they cannot bat a 1,000, okay? They're not going to bat a 1,000, and they're going to swing at something over their head or bouncing every now and then. And I was watching the Rangers the other night, and uh, the, the batter swung... And the ball bounced about two foot outside, and I went, oh my goodness, what are you doing swinging at that? What are you thinking? Well, the thing is, they can't hit a thousand. Matter of fact, if they bat 333, that's great. That's a great lifetime average. (laughs) That's just a, a third of the time they're up there, they hit the ball. That means the, the 70% of the time, they don't even touch the ball. Are they failures? 333, they've got a career. They're going to the Hall of Fame. And folks, we need to understand it in our Christian life that joyless religion comes from the fact of saying, I can't hit a 1,000 all the time because we're measuring our successes against the law. That's why Paul said the purpose of the law was what? The purpose wasn't that we could be like God. The purpose was to show us we can't bat a thousand. 
And because we can't bet a thousand, we need a Savior. That was the purpose of the law. When we're convicted about our failures, we need to say, well, I realize that I cannot keep God's law. I cannot keep everything that is written. Therefore, I need grace. I need what what God has offered me freely because... I can't bat a thousand, so I need God's grace and I need God's mercy. And folks, what are joy killers is when we begin to measure ourselves against the law and realize that we're failing God, then we fall back on Jesus Christ and we say, well, I just praise God that I've got the blood of Jesus. And you know what? When we have the blood of Jesus, when God looks at us, you know what He sees? He doesn't see our failures. He doesn't see those times that we didn't quite make it. He sees us as as holy and blameless. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. Isn't that great? He don't look at our failures. He don't look at our shortcomings. He says, I see you through the blood of Jesus. And because of that, I see you as righteous and holy and blameless before God. So when we have those things that steal our joy so often, it comes through legalism. Now here's the second part of that. And I just glanced up at the clock and it's not up there. But I want to go ahead and finish this. Another thing that can rob us of our joy is sin. Now, do y'all remember King David? King David, was the Bible says, was a man after God's very own heart. That's who King David was. He was somebody that was so close to God that, that God said, you know what, I've, I've just got your heart. We're just heart to heart together. But King David became lazy, and, and King David was, was, uh, was spiritually declining, and he had an affair with Bathsheba. And not only did he have an affair with Bathsheba, he had her husband killed. This same guy is still the same guy that's after God's own heart. And so he has her husband killed, and because of that, David lost all of his joy. I mean, he was miserable, and he was living a, a life that was, bitter, that was bitter, and he was critical of everything, and, and he was a miserable person. And all of a sudden, God raised up this man. His name was, was Nathan, and he, he came and he pointed out David's sin. See, what had happened was David was just living in his sin, and he wasn't confessing to God, and because of that sin, he didn't lose his salvation. He didn't lose God's love. He didn't lose those things, but he lost his joy. And if you go over and you read in Psalms chapter 51, that whole Psalms is a, is a beautiful picture of David begging God to restore the joy that he once had. But listen to this one part. David says this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit that can sustain me. Folks, when we realize that we've lost our joy, we realize that, that all of a sudden I've become a spectator, and it's not near as good as it used to be. I want to ask you to do about three things. I want you first to come back and say, you know what, am I involved in ministry? Am I, am I being God's hand and God's feet? Remember what it says? It's like you're doing those very things to Jesus Christ. It's actually you're, you're doing those very things of ministry to God Himself. If you say, well, no, that's not it. I'm really involved. I'm doing this, but I, I've just lost something. I, I want to ask you, would you just ask yourself, am I, am I trying to follow some kind of legalistic ideal? Something that, that I can say, God, I, I don't know if you're happy with me, but I failed in this area today, and because of that, I'm a failure, and I didn't bat a thousand. Well, that's what Jesus is blood for. Or do you have some kind of sin that, you know, it's just, it's just drained you? 
Maybe you've dealt with it for years, you've carried it around, maybe it's against somebody or against yourself, and, and you've just lost that joy. Do like David and say, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Create within me a pure heart, and then grant me a willing spirit that will sustain me. I want to ask you if you would bow your heads with me this morning and uh, just to think about, we're not talking about happiness today. You know, happiness is an emotion. Happiness can change according to our circumstances. Uh, One day we can be happy, one moment we can be happy, and our circumstance change, and just like that, we've lost some happiness. Happiness depends on us. It depends on me and you. But joy depends on Christ. Happiness is a shallow emotion, but joy is anchored in Christ. Father, I pray this morning, as we just consider joy in ourselves, I pray, Lord, that if we've lost that joy... Father, we would go back and we would look at the words of David and inspired by you and just ask ourselves, you know, have I, have I just become a spectator? And because of that, it's, it's just emotions now. I, I want to be involved. I want to get in the arena. I want to get my hands on those sheep. I want, to, I want to do something more than just be here. I believe, Father, in that we find joy. Father, I pray that we would be Mindful that Satan is always throwing that list of reasons. He's saying, you swung at that one in the dirt. <laughs> how, how you have failed. God's given you a list of rules and you're failing half of them. 70% of the time, you don't even make contact. Because of that, we've allowed legalism to rob us of our joy. Lord, I pray that we would know that we're under grace And while you're creating in us a newness, a freshness each day, we've not made completion yet. But you began a good work in us, and you're going to be faithful and just to to finish that work and complete it. So, Lord, I pray that when we find ourselves in a slump, we would just be able to say, you know what? I'm not living by that law. I'm living under the grace of God, and by the grace of God, I'll be through this. And by the grace of God, he'll help me through this time. And then, Father, I pray also that if there be sin in our heart that, you know, maybe we've hidden it away and we've, uh, we've, just, we've just harbored it within our heart. And, and, Lord, I pray today that we would just come before you as David did and say, you know, I'm, I'm tired of going through the motions. I'm tired of fighting my sin. I'm tired of keeping it covered up. And, God, today I want to ask you to create in me a clean heart. Renew that steadfast spirit within me and help me. Uh, just to sustain this in days and weeks to come, that I might find joy. And then, Father, I pray for us today and, and each of us here, Lord, if we're living in your joy and we have opportunities to share with others and, and uh, we, we want them to come be a part of our family, and, and, Lord, as we offer that, they offer excuses. Lord, I pray that we'd be equipped with your word, that we could say, you know, I, I'm the same way. I'm not, I'm not batting but 200. I'm... I have so many things I can't do that God wants me to do right now, but he's making me new every day. Come as you are. Call on his name and, and just come as you are and then allow the Holy Spirit to begin to change us where he needs to change us, Lord. 
Father, this morning as we just come to time of doing business with you, I pray that your spirit would be our teacher, would be our guide, and Father, I pray today that we would turn our eyes upon you. We would look full in your wonderful face and the things of the earth, the things of this world would grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and your grace. Lord, I pray today if there'd be one here that's never accepted you as a personal Savior, you've been struggling with that for years or just today, the Holy Spirit convicted you. If you know that first step is, is to come to me and through my grace and by your faith, you can be saved. Father, I pray for those of us that's just, we've lost some joy. I pray, Lord, if your spirit would lead us to be, we'd just come and rededicate ourselves to you, Father. Lord, what I'm praying is that your spirit would move among your people and we, your people, would respond to your spirit during our time of invitation. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.